Welcome to Tech Exchange. For the next hour, we will be talking tech topics, what's new, what's trending, and what is impacting your industry. I'm your host, Jane Johnson, and I am here with my colleagues, Corey Moss. Hey, Corey. Hey, Jane. How are you? Good. Johnny Moda. Greetings and salutations. And Krista Bender. Hi, hi. Today, uh, we have a special guest with us. It's Paul Zeely. He is the Enterprise Solutions Manager from AMX. He's also an Infocom instructor, Infocom Educator of the Year as well, and expert in AV and IT integration. So we're very excited to have Paul with us today. Hey, Paul. Good morning. How are you? Good. Okay. Well, we're going to start with our technology roundtable, where we share some of the news and events that we've been tracking for the past week. So let's start with Corey. What do you got for us? All right. Well, I did some looking around, and uh, one thing that has been extraordinarily hot button um, these days is uh, the web-connected car. Uh, as a matter of fact, I've been doing some looking up for some writing I'm intending to doing, uh, intending on doing, and uh, I I came across this, and there have been numerous articles put out about it and discussions. And one in particular in the New York Times, uh, in the automobile section, actually, is the web-connected car is cool until hackers cut your brakes. So anyway, as it turns out, uh, two gentlemen um, hacked into a Jeep Cherokee uh, with a computer or computers and uh, smartphones and it was actually something that, and I read it the other day, um, I believe a writer from Wired uh, or somebody with Wired drove the Jeep Cherokee and these gentlemen sat on a couch in their house and hacked into it and did a whole number of things uh, to the car until um, it actually, uh, I believe, either I, it might have run off the road or what happened to it, but Anyway, uh, it was actually, he knew it was going to happen, just not when, but it was a scary incident nonetheless for him uh, taking place. And so, uh, you know, basically, again, done through its internet-connected system and, you know, allowing to take control of critical components like engine, brakes, even steering under certain con conditions. They even had his wiper fluid going and... Uh, and covering the windows. So pretty amazing things. And what's interesting, I found another article uh, today, as a matter of fact, uh, in the Wall Street Journal, regulators investigating Fiat Chrysler cybersecurity recall. So this is big right now. Um, and, uh, you know, I feel a, a major topic of discussion at the moment. I think that's actually going to just be phase one, Corey. Um, you, know, you talked about one car, right? So two hackers sitting on a couch. Let's see if we can tinker in the closest smart connected car, right? So that car, if you will, and I don't like the term, but IoT are connected to the cloud that probably sits on a network somewhere, right? If you're a hacker, the one device could really care less about. It's a test. You want to you want the parent, you want the network that controls all those things. So again, phase one is let's try and connect to the closest smart device in this case, the smart connected card, just because we can uh, cut the brakes, do some windshield wiper fluids, you know, honk the horn, whatever, change the radio dial. Cause I'm, I'm feeling frisky, whatever. 
But once you get the connection of the network, then you can mess with all of them. And that, I think, I, is the end goal, whether that's a smart connected car, a smart connected home device. Um, it's the network that you ultimately, or the hackers, if you will, want to gain control of because what's the purpose of messing with one minuscule device when you can control all of them? That's my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree. And in, in that case, um, the, the hackers were what's essentially in that world called white hat. So they're security researchers experimenting with the technology to see if they can, can find these vulnerabilities. Um, actually, I don't know what happened with Chrysler, but uh, they had actually told Chrysler about it before they told Wired Magazine. So, so Chrysler was presumably already working on the fix at the point they, they publicized it um, just kind of to make awareness of, of that type of danger. Um, but that's, that's kind of the world we live in where all these connected devices are, are so complex. They're, they're using general purpose um, operating systems. So I don't know what's underneath that, but presumably it's probably some sort of Linux or QNX or some sort of general purpose operating system that uh, has hundreds and hundreds or thousands of libraries in it that any of them could have a potential issue in that may or may not be publicly known. And so it's, it's incredibly difficult for a, a company to uh, guard against these. They call them zero-day exploits. Essentially, every possible computer system you have has potential hundreds of vulnerabilities that nobody's figured out yet. Um, either the people who built the software and the people who implement it or, or the, the hacker world. And um, you, you have to spend a huge amount of time testing. You have to have these white hats and then you have to be able to, to respond to them. And, um, you know, this is kind of the, the genie's been let out of the bottle because there's a consumer demand for these things to be connected. People want their car to send them an email when it needs an oil change. People want them to, you know, have all of these other things. They want to be able to subscribe to something that, you know, downloads where the speed traps are. So, so it, it's going to be, you know, it, it's very hard to really put the blame on, on Chrysler at this point, you know, as far as negligence. And, and while this kind of concept has to be um, explored, um, it's really going to be on the manufacturers to, to do due diligence. And um, at AMX, we've started doing some things that uh, I was surprised how uncommon they are. Um, but we just paid huge amounts of money for an industry standard um, vulnerability test suite and penetration test suite, which essentially subscribes to this database of so every time any vulnerability on any operating system in the world goes down into this database and we're uploading updates every day and then we can run these tests against our products to see if we're vulnerable to anything because you could never manually go through the you know tens of thousands of potential vulnerabilities to see if you've got the library that matches up to it and then you have to go a step further and, and look at penetration testing, where if we discover something, we have to see 
if it actually does something to our device because these libraries are so huge in general purpose that we may not be using that piece of code that's exploited. I mean, it, it exists there, we potentially have the issue, but, then, but that goes and measures our response. And when I was doing the research to, to do this, I found that it was almost impossible to get licensing geared towards a manufacturer who wanted to do this level of testing. Um, it was all geared towards big enterprises that scan every computer on a Saturday night, and mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And I kept on asking the sales guys, you mean other manufacturers, all these IoT companies aren't out there running these tests constantly against their devices. Right. And, and apparently they're not because I talked to everybody who on the market, you know, of the large companies who made this type of software and in every case, it was kind of like, and no, I've never heard of anybody wanting to do that. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah. I find that very frightening. Yeah. And, you know, going back to your comment on negligence, I don't know that it ever is that. Oh, but, it could be. Well, I it mean, could be. But I mean, I think, yeah. auto companies have, uh, have covered up defects for, for well, before. Well, I defects, mean, yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, you know, that's potentially a defect. If, it if could they be. knew about it, you know, and didn't take action on it, then... And, and software companies do that sort of thing. So, True. so True. It, yes. it, it bears investigation, but I would definitely, in the short term anyway, give Chrysler the benefit of the doubt that, you know, it was an honest, nobody knew about it, not just Chrysler. And it's very likely in something that's not a Chrysler-specific piece of software. It's something in an underlying library or operating system that's something they licensed or put in, and the hackers were able to look up in these huge databases. There's this um, open source thing called Metasploit, which essentially is the hacker version of, of that, where they can run through and find all these things. If they found some little library, then they use that to start chipping it away as a, as a way in. And that's typically how these things are found. People aren't out there creating new and inventive hacks. They're applying the ones that exist. Right, and you they know, might, I've got, go ahead. I've got, no, I'm sorry. I've got to yeah. tell you, um, it, it's interesting because, uh, and you talk about the keynote, you know, they talked about the IoT keynote. Some of this came up and I think it was Mike Walker of Cisco who was talking about security and, you know, and the level of security and um, uh, everything involved with that in IoT is growing. I do know a gentleman who's high level in the, I, the, in the IoT as well as the mobile security community who attended Black Hat USA last year um, and uh, actually moderated a panel on IoT security. And the InfoSec community at this point, I think that is going to even, even be larger scale at uh, Black Hat USA, which is coming up as a matter of fact. It, it's an attractive market, both in number of devices and the lack of people doing upgrades and security. So yeah. just a comment. If you go to Black Hat, anybody leave your phone and computer at home before you go. <laughs> you don't 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 ever even think of connecting at a network within 20 miles of a Black Hat conference. Right. Sure. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think it's an interesting uh, an interesting story, and certainly as you start thinking about connected cars, it's it's maybe a little terrifying for me because we haven't even figured out how to protect our data. I mean, you have the Ashley Madison site that gets hacked, and everybody's personal information gets out on things like that. So. Be interesting. Not mine. 
I just want to make that point. <laughs> my, my information was not on that site. Yeah, neither was mine. So, all right, Johnny, what do you got for us? Uh, my information was on that site. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Or was I? Um, I was actually reading about, um, well, everyone's been talking about drones. Uh, I'm trying to avoid it, but apparently I can't because it's, it's, they're here. They're not going away. And I think Amazon did a joke thing last year where they were doing drone delivery services and a few other people. And I thought, well, that's stupid. But I honestly don't think that that is too far from the truth. Now uh, Google is joining N uh, NASA and a few others out there to, to work on drone traffic control systems. And in the next 12 months or so, the FFA or F FFA, Future Farmers America, actually the FAAA, FAA, sorry, my words are slumbering and spilling out today because I haven't had any coffee. I, Chris, I think you've got it, it right all. now, Johnny, the FAA. <laughs> The FAA is going to announce new rules and regulations within the next 12 months to monitor uh, drones and, uh, you know, like things that, that I had mentioned, you know, flying within 60 feet or certain heights at certain speeds um, because they aren't going away. Everyone I know now has a drone. And at Infocom, if you were there, you saw the drone pavilion. Uh, we talk about, again, more security, right? What If this is this is happening, you know, are, are hackers, are we going to get into, you know, controlling the world? And I joke about it, you know, like uh, things like with the smart car and, and drones. And I, what I said uh, recently was that um, Skynet has become self-aware, referencing, well, the apocalypse or end of days. And I think I'm just joking with the uh, people just controlling smart devices, whether or not that's a drone or a smart car. Um, is that something we should be looking into? Or I guess the term I, I saw at the IoT or heard it IoT keynote was uh, you know one of the things was security. One, the other is uh, you know what? How are we going to harness that in in our industry for AV and, and such? Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say apocalyptic, apocalyptic because as the drones take over our world, I did note that we've discovered Earth 2.0, so we have a place potentially to go to once. The drones and the smart cars have taken over our world. What a segue. Maybe that's yeah, how we'll get there. I like that. <laughs> I like that, yes. <laughs> Anybody else ca catch that or um, have any thoughts on drones and Earth 2.0? I was so excited to discover Earth 2.0 because I discovered it. Oh. <laughs> it's only 1,400 light years away. Did it's you fly there with a drone? I found, yes, and I found a wormhole and got there in two minutes. <laughs> There you go. Perfect. All right. Well, that's kind of our, our tech roundtable for the week. So let's dive into our conversation with Paul Zeely. Um, Paul, if you could give us a little bit more of an introduction to yourself, what you're working on at uh, AMX, and, and then let's talk a little bit about Infocom. Okay. Um, uh, I've been floating back and forth in the AV and IT worlds for a little more than 30 years. Um, have been primarily concentrating in what we would consider the AV world um, for the last 20 to 25 or so um, as it as it progresses. Uh, primarily during my early part of that, I dealt with streaming and video conferencing, um, command and control. Uh, a lot of my career spent in the, the DOD market. Um, and so I 
was very early focused on, on networks and uh, dealing with networks. And with DOD, I was dealing with network security very early in the AV industry. So, um, so a lot of the issues that we're talking about now have been, uh, you know, have, have been around for a long time in areas that are very paranoid about security, you know. Uh, fortunately for my career path, it has uh, become very public and mainstream over the last two or three years. Uh, there's nothing like firing a few CEOs over security breaches to, to suddenly make it a, a uh, corporate um, prerogative. Um, so I worked for AMX. Uh, prior to that, I was at Lockheed Martin as a principal systems engineer, dealing mostly with um, AV and IT pre-sale, huge, huge projects. Um, it's a it's a very different world when you're dealing with large-scale government projects than a lot of the AV world. Um, as an AV company, our group's average job size was five to ten million dollars, and um, and which made us huge in the AV world. But in the Lockheed world, you would hear the "Why are you messing with, around with all these stupid little ten million dollar contracts?" You know, it's such a pain to to try to deal with that. Um, so, so as I progressed, I decided to, uh, that I would try a manufacturer and, uh, I picked AMX largely because I felt they needed me and I liked the corporate culture of, of the company. And, uh, prior to the Harman acquisition, I wanted to go work for, for a small company. I know in the AV world, AMX is a big company, but I worked for Lockheed Martin where my boss had a bigger number than um, AMX's <laughs> uh, number, you know. It's, it's a little different when you work for a company that deals in the, the billion dollar contract ranges. Oh, um, and uh, it was a long negotiation because they didn't have anybody who did what I wanted to do there and what I thought needed to be done there. So I spent seven or eight months talking back and forth and coming to an agreement as to, to how that would work out and a little over two years. So a little under two years ago, I moved down to Texas and, and kind of came into my non-job description of, of manager of enterprise solutions, which is uh, really I'm focused on the problems of AV integration in our products for um, large scale deployments. So scalability, um, being a good steward on the network, which primarily for the last year and a half has been security. Although I would not in the big scheme of my things um, consider myself a security or IT expert in the scope of the AT AV world I am. So it's a, it's a big fish, small pond. If you stick me in the security world or the IT world, I'm a high average. In the AV world, I can be a rock star in that area because, because the world's so far behind. Um, so I essentially float from flower to flower and um, look at problems within our different product lines, both, uh, both customer need facing and, and internal and feed solutions into our, uh, our product roadmap and pipeline. Uh, once I kind of feed them in, they're taken back into the product management verticals and handled there and I'll kind of keep it loop in mind but I don't actually have a, a, a product lifecycle role. 
I have a, a feature role. Yeah. And so was was Infocom the first show, the 2015, was that the first show you went to as AMX? Oh, no. Uh, I went to 2014 as, as AMX. AMX. Okay. And then I uh, also done ISE. Um, and I think I was trying to count. I think that was somewhere around my 20th Infocom show I'd been to. Um, <laughs> so what did you think about that. Infocom 2015? What are some of the standout highlights? Because you mentioned you don't have to always stay in the booth, so you get to walk yeah. around. Well, for, for better or worse, um, and one of the things with AMX uh, that they allow me to do, I... I uh, I had almost 40 hours worth of um, speaking that I did over the, over the course of Infocom between um, classes and panels and, and various other things. And um, I didn't even see our whole booth. And then, and then most of what else I did on the show, I got some time on Friday afternoon to, to walk around, um, but, but meet with, with key technology pieces and partners. Um, and, and I think what interests me and, and what I found valuable is, is that whole movement towards, um, towards distribution on IT. That's gonna be the next big forefront that happens in um, this industry. Uh, Harman was nice enough to, to buy me one of the things I asked for for Christmas, which was SVSI. Um, I put two things on my Christmas list, TV one and SVSI and they bought me SVSI. Is that why they did it, Paul? They, they gave you, they bought you a present. They, they had asked, I'd been a big oh, SVSI fan since, since the beginning. And I also thought they were a very good fit because they were very strong in some areas that we weren't, which is, which is um, streaming um, and, and video transmission. And they weren't strong in areas that, uh, we are, which is, which is control and um, channel sales. So, so I think they're going to be a very good fit into, mm -hmm. into what we do. Now as we're part of Harman, I no longer have to go out and find a, uh, uh, an audio company to, to, um, to buy because they've got audio companies in BSS. So it's very much like right. Amex fit into the, the Harman product portfolio with very little overlap. Um, we are not strong in audio as a, as a company, um, but, but Harman was, they're not strong in video. We right. weren't strong in, in media. Harman's not strong in media, SVSI is. So as you start to look in what it takes to fill those gaps, where a company like Crestron and Extron have, have done it more organically, it, as we go into this IT-centric world, um, and, and this will be a big disappointment to all the AV integrators out there, the, the power of the one throat to choke in the IT world is, is incredibly big. That's why Dell exists, is because big customers only wanna to have to deal with one computer company. So they deal with HP or Dell and, and just deal with it and, and buy everything within that. Same thing with the networking, they deal with Cisco or Juniper or, or one of those. And, and as this moves into an enterprise sale, we're seeing more and more where these very large multinational companies want to just standardize on one system that works together. 
They just don't want a problem. They want to have something that integrates as a whole, that, that uh, continues on as a plan, is flexible enough, and they don't want to have to build all of these custom local rooms. Mm -hmm. So even if they're actually installing them locally, they can have a standard so that their management and, and their upgrades and consolidated warranties and all of that stay within a single family. And you know, that's of, you're going to see some of this big stuff happen. Yeah, you know, and I've got to say, creating that one-stop environment, it, you know, do, doing AV integration sales as I yeah. did for a long time, uh, you know, Harman existing as they were, were in their audio environment and now AMX and then SVI, which SVSI, which has received great accolades uh, in the whole combination there. Um, you know, it is extraordinarily meaningful and where competition is concerned, you know, certainly it seems that everybody's trying to build this way or not everybody, but companies are trying to build this way to be able to compete heavily. And I think what Harman has done with AMX, SVSI, and who knows what's to come uh, has become very advantageous for the company. Now we talked about Infocom and it's funny. I, I don't think the Infocom conversation um, really goes away. So, uh, oh, I'll go back to Infocom. So, so some of the things that were exciting to me were things like the Aptovision um, pieces, uh, which Aptovision makes an underlying technology that uh, will put video across a network. And they have a, a technology coming out that essentially as a chipset, very much like HD base T exists, will across a 10 gigabit ethernet support a very lightly compressed, almost unnoticeable or, or mathematically lossless um, compression at, at 4K P60 with a 10, 10, 10, um, with a 10 bit color depth, 444. Um, so they're taking that 18 gigabits, compressing it by, you know, a little under two getting it across 10 gigabit ethernet, which is essentially on a physical layer, the, the same medium that you're being able to use with HD base T um, without some of the problems that HD base T has with um, only being able to go 70 meters on 4K, not being able to get that additional bandwidth of some of those other things. Um, a previous uh, version of the chipset is what's being used in the Aurora um, they're calling it IP based T or something like that. So they've got their all in one piece. Um, it's going into some other things. And the other company that's really working into that environment is a company called Intupix, which has a software piece, which is, which is being very heavily is most likely going to be the basis of all the new, um, SMPT, uh, IP things. Same kind of idea. A, a light compression to squeeze that 18 gigs down to where they can get to 10 gigs because when you move past 10 gigs, you're really have, have passed the ability to do it on copper at all. And even in fiber, um, the 40 gig fiber standard is four fiber pairs, which means it won't exist on existing fiber. So it's going to be a big issue if, if 4K is demanded by the market. And I don't necessarily believe that it's appropriate that the um, professional AV market demand 4K, but you know, appropriate and logical does not necessarily define market demands. Um, 
So it, it sounds like, though, Paul, that this IT and an IT-centric world that AV now finds itself in is a big driver for you personally, and that's what led you to create your Infocom course, uh, for which you were recognized as Infocom Educator of the Year. Congratulations, yeah. by the way. Yeah, I um, I've been involved with Infocom Education on and off for oh, almost 15 years now. Um, I was I was in Petsy early on when they would let anybody join, um, which is the professional education um, training committee, and I, I taught various things. And about five years ago, um, I was uh, noticing really bad IT skills among the AV people, especially among my subcontractors. And Infocom really didn't have a, a good course towards that. So um, they had been thinking about it. I got on a committee to do um, the first NAVS, the Network Audio Video Systems course, which I subsequently um, stayed on and, and, and taught. Um, and after three years, it needed to be updated. So um, I'm not a big committee guy. So, so my view of it was, I'll do it all if it doesn't require a committee. So, so I spent most of the winter working with a, uh, uh, an editor, Michelle Streffan at uh, Infocom uh, and going over and revamping um, that, that whole coursework towards lessons learned as to what was required. Um, my big driver um, in, in the Infocom education is kind of twofold. Um, when I want to put things into products, uh, I am always getting pushback from sales engineering and technical support that, you know, the AV integrators are smart enough to deal with these sophisticated IT things. And uh, my view of the world is rather than build dumber products, let's build smarter AV integrators. Mm -hmm. um, as well as uh, I want the AV industry as it exists in some way to, to survive, because on a philosophical level, um, I think that the AV industry is one of the last places that's, that's really a meritocracy that, you know, a disadvantaged person without, you know, a stellar education can come in as somebody who's pulling cables or, or doing something else, and because they're interested in it and they're self-motivated and they work hard can essentially have any, you know, any position in the industry. Yeah, and, and IT was like that when I went into it, and it's not yeah. anymore. If you don't have the right IT degree or, or information systems degree, you know, it's very difficult to, to get into that. When I started, it was, uh, oh, you're willing to fix the computers? Here you go. That's your department. You're our IT person now. You're our IT like person now. That, you know, as we, and, and, and I know that you've said that, the AVIT convergence has actually happened, and it actually yes. happened in 1992. It did. Are, are we going to see? Are we going to see then more of these certifications and and skill requirements for AV integrators, and maybe less of that meritocracy that you just talked about? Well, well you know what? All actually, I'm going to say 1992. Paul said, but it's kind of funny. Before I heard that from Paul, I asked Johnny the other day. Uh, you know, the date, time, and Earth's position when uh, convergence happened. So, and Johnny actually gave me the full details. 
But um, yeah, Paul, it's very interesting. The whole convergence discussion, and you said that, and it was very interesting. But yeah, go yeah. ahead. And when, when I was in the AB club in high school, it was pushing the film strip projectors and the slide projectors down the hall. I mean, it was a different world. And, and really, PowerPoint um, invented the AV industry. I think Extron had a video splitter prior to PowerPoint. Um, Crestron didn't. AMX, Crestron and AMX both started by um, essentially wireless things to advance slide projectors as, as control systems and moving forward. Extron didn't introduce a matrix switch until you know 1992 or 1993 and, and rode that wave until they quit going to Infocom. And I think there's still a lot of, of that. Um, and but but for a long time before AMX and Crestron moved out of being the control companies and started to consolidate into some of the switching, you know, people, people had those switches where I would use AMX or Crestron control, Extron switches, Biamp, um, you know, Biamp or ASV or whoever's or clear ones, DSP. And, and all of those companies came out of that period. And, and even the ones that existed before, reinvented in that five years or so um, between 1992 and 1997. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, and, and so without the, um, you know, Windows 3.1, Macintosh, and PowerPoint, the, the modern AV industry wouldn't exist. Um, it just so happened that the LCD projector came out around 1990 and, and all those other things. But, but the, the fortunes of the AV market have been shaped by IT um, for the last 20 plus years. Um, the fact that transport is now potentially moving to IT, that control has moved onto the network, that's just who owns the wires. And, and uh, the video conferencing world went through that, moving from ISDN to IP. The telephone industry went over that, moving from phone lines and PBXs to, to IP. It, it, it's, a, it's a natural trend as, as these networks become, become so powerful to put these other applications on it. Yeah. So I think you that's had to know about IT all along. It's just you had to know about video standards within IT. Um, yeah. and, and in 1992, people who had been in the AV business who wanted to stay in AV business had to learn not how to control a slide projector, but had to learn about VGA syncs. And then they had to learn about EDID, and then they had to learn about HDMI. And, and it, it's just part of an evolution. It's, it's not like there's a, a sudden delineation that suddenly it's moved over to IT. It's been moving that way all along. Yeah, well, I think that's a really important distinction. Um, Johnny, what, were you, what was your thought on wind conversion? Yeah, what was your date? Uh, when Corey asked me, I, he wanted to know the exact, he wanted to know the date, uh, the time, and the lo Earth's location, and I Earth's responded with... at that point, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, and I said, um, 1000 BC, party time, and it was Middle Earth. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I agree with Paul, uh, all, all I've known, and I'm, I, I think I get referred to as young AV because I'm young in the industry, <laughs> um, which is fine, and I'm okay with that. But 
I'm coming from integration standpoint, and all I know as an integration, it, it wasn't just AV. You know, it wasn't AV integration. It wasn't IT integration. It's integration. So all these technologies are combined together. So I didn't know anything other than, you know, there's only AV and there's only IT. It's integration because we're doing buildings, homes, where they have all these systems. And so that's all I knew was, okay, well, it's integration of all these systems. And there wasn't a separate thing. So later or a few years back, I heard, oh, you know, this AV, IT convergence. I'm like, what are you talking about? And that 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 already existed and you know so for paul you're saying you know that was back in what did you say the 90s yeah i i would trace it to 92 which is when uh powerpoint 3 came out and powerpoint 3 is the first version of powerpoint that had the slideshow in it so i could directly show my powerpoints off the computer before that it was a drawing program um designed to to make 35 millimeter slides or transparencies that would go on an overhead projector. So now everybody says that the convergence were here, but we were actually there and didn't know it. And, you know, it, but I, I got a question. So, hey, we talk about AVIT and convergence. What about IoT? Because now we have the keynote and talking about IoT and the, hey, how about drones convergence? This is even better. Well, um, well you know, we, where we, are we going we, with this? Well, let's put it this way. Uh, I was pulling drone video over networks in 1995 when it was still in the top secret world. Were you um, a super secret agent, Paul? A, a little bit. Um, I was involved in the uh, tests that proved that you could remotely fly a Predator drone. Um, and we used PictureTel and CLI video conferencing gear um, over ATM networks to prove that you could remotely fly a, a drone and bring back imagery from wherever you were in the world. So um, short answer is drone convergence happened back in the mid nineties. Yeah. Yeah. And Paul created it. I did not create Boom! it. I did not create it. I just transported the video. You've just been doing it since technology has been a thing. And he yeah. just made it awesome. Yeah. Well, so, there you go. That's the but, answer is it, but, it happened but, a long time ago. This, and, and, and convergence is, is not a point. It's a, a spectrum. That, that that's going to happen and and they've you know they've been bringing back drone video for years um high visions real money that's what they make their money on i mean they're in the av industry but but uh you're not buying a lot of ten thousand dollar encoders in order to send uh, espn around a bar you know they're ten thousand dollar encoders because they're putting them in nose cones of predators and and sending video halfway across the world. Um, all of the, you know, there's applications and, and they also own Furnace and, and can send around IPTV, but uh, it's, it's just been a continuum where they've, they've moved across that. What, what we're seeing is it's the, the press in the world is becoming aware that this, is, this has been happening. I spent from 1997 till 2007, pretty much full-time within video conferencing, which as an AV world would, was probably the first really fully converged piece, starting with an ISDN and, and everything else. And one of the things that got me started in, in video conferencing was the fact that AV integrators didn't care if they made money in video conferencing in 2000, because video conferencing was an excuse to sell a projector, which was where they made their money. And, um, 
And so they were very happy to sub all the video conferencing stuff out to my company and not deal with the hassles of networks. Um, over time, they, you know, projectors commoditized and, and other things and, you know, companies fortunes waned and waxed and, and the, the more video conferencing savvy um, companies ended up moving back and forth. But I've seen a lot of these AV companies over the last 20 years go way up and down in prominence based on where they are in the technology adoption curves against what happens to be very profitable to, to do today. Um, and if I could predict what was profitable to do tomorrow, um, you know, I wouldn't have to be on these podcasts pushing myself. I would, uh, would be out there. And so you're saying you wouldn't be talking to us. <laughs> no, I might be talking to you, but Point necessarily be resent representing harmony. Well, you don't seem to mind being on this one. I don't know. No, I don't mind. <laughs> I, I like to talk about this stuff, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, it's a, it's a continuum and, uh, the nature of technology is, is that it flows and that you're always learning. So, so if you want to graduate from college or learn a skill and then apply that trade without ever having to think again for the next 30 years, technology is the wrong business for you. And um, yeah. you should quit whining and, and go become a lawyer or an accountant or something. I like that. Quit whining and go become a lawyer. I mean, who uh, says that? I like <laughs> go make coffee. I'm putting yeah. that up on uh, on Twitter. <laughs> a good one. Um, so then I propose that we stop saying IT, AV, IoT, drone convergence, drop all convergence, and just say like I've been saying is it's technology integration because I, it is technology. I agree a hundred percent. And um, I have a thing that I wrote originally for Infocom, um, and has been posted in a couple of different blogs, and it's probably my most requested slide, which is where I justify the fact that Infocom and, you know, by, by extension, Harman is now getting into more of the IT education portions for the industry. And the reason is because the AV industry, by the nature of the fact that it is an integration industry versus the IT industry, which by nature is an operations industry, have different skill sets and knowledge bases that are required. So in integration, um, if you're an IT guy, they very, they specialize. So IT guys will be, I'm a network guy, which subspecialize into I'm a, a switch guy or I'm a router guy. Router guys subspecialize into I'm an interior routing protocol. So I deal with the, the local network or I'm an exterior, I'm an internet guy. There's network security guys who deal with ports and protocols. There's, um, authentication security guys that deal with usernames and passwords. In applications, there are services guys who are dealing with things like name services and DHCP. There are, there are application services guys who are dealing with databases. There are applications guys. It's very specialized. And if you ask anybody in that broad market that's an IT guy, any question that's outside of his realm of expertise by more than maybe an adjacent area, they don't know the answer more, any more than anybody else. You know, they, they might have some very limited broad knowledge of it, but for the most part, they specialize. By nature, integration has to be um, 
has to be kind of a generalist or a, a, a jack of all trades. So an AV integrator in this technology integration world has to know how to talk to the database guy, has to know how to talk to the network guy, has to know how to talk to the various security guys. They might not know as much about any of those subjects, but they're going to know about a lot more subjects than your traditional IT practitioner. And it's very easy to go on Google and say, I'd like to become a Cisco router specialist, and you'll get 65 curriculums, and you'll start getting emails about courses and various other things. But go Google and say, I'd like to become a generalist and see what kind of curriculums you get. And, and so that's where um, that education within Infocom that, that I deal with becomes important that is in an industry because it, it's focused towards not necessarily mastering all those trades, but being able to interact with all of those trades within IT in order to fulfill the integration job function. Right. And that's why I got uh, Educator of the Years because I'm the person who realized that. Yeah, and I'm actually looking at that slide that you're referencing right now, yeah. where you show that breadth of knowledge. Yeah. Which, of those six areas that this spans, yeah. and you've mentioned a few in the network security, yeah. IT security, IT integration, where do you feel like AV integrators have the biggest gap of knowledge, or where do they need to focus most? Well, lately it's been security, um, but most and mostly because the um, the market shift towards towards a, a security focus has been so quick. So around the DC area, there's a lot of really good AV security practitioners because the government has been um, doing it for a long time. So so I had that position at at, uh, at Lockheed. There's a guy named Carl Maurer at General Dynamics. There's a company called Pershing Technologies, which specializes in AV and IT integration as a, a subcontractor. Some very good companies and some very knowledgeable people. But you get more than 100 miles outside of, New York, outside of Washington, DC, even into New York and, and Silicon Valley, it's a, it's a very rare um, uh, skill set. And it's also something that, um, that's very vocabulary driven. I'll get a lot of security documentation that's been rejected by a customer or somebody um, and it gets sent to me and very often I'll rewrite it without changing a single technical fact and hand it back and it will be accepted and it's because I know what vocabulary what format and and how they do it so one of the things that I've been concentrating in um, in Infocom education and and I'm about to uh, release a white paper is is essentially a open source security framework as that um, AV companies can bring into their standard uh, practices of, of how they deal with site surveys and needs analysis and will give them a framework to to kind of have this conversation um, and it's not a, frameworks are not tight rules they're hey here's a suggestion grab what fits for your customer set and, and the way it works. But here, here's something to start with to, to figure out how to get into this. Because it's daunting to just be dumped into a new technology. And, and even the vocabulary issue. I was working with a, uh, a, a piece of uh, LDAP, which is a directory protocol. Mm -hmm. 
And I got asked a question. And with internet searches, it took me two hours to get the answer to the question. The first hour and 45 minutes was Googling around trying to figure out what the feature was called. <laughs> what, once I finally Googled enough documents and I figured out what the feature was called, I had the answer in, in, in 10 minutes, wrote it up, and sent it back. But, but not having that basis to be able to get started can, can be a huge task to, to, you know, to build that initial momentum. So yeah. I, think, I think a lot of what I'm trying to do here is, is to get them started with a certain amount of momentum. There's no way in two hours or four hours or three days I can make them an expert in anything. But what I can do is give them enough basis so, so, and, and context that they can self-educate and move forward, which is something that the AV community is excellent at. Um, it's, it, it's in the DNA of the AV integrator. God knows you, you've all been in this business. You know, how often is it? Oh shit. I have to install that tomorrow. I better figure out how it works. Yeah. Well, yeah, I've, Th I've been in that business long enough. That's <laughs> the nature of the business and people are adapted to it. And this is just another thing It's giving them enough tools so that they can continue to do that and fill in. And, and that's very much how a lot of my stuff has come, you know, yeah. a, a lot of things that I have learned it's because I was volunteered for it including getting into the AV business. Yeah. Well, I like the focus on, on helping solve some of the disconnects between AV and IT because there are a lot, and certainly vocabulary is one of those critical, yeah. you know, using the wrong words. Because if you talk about security, from a, you know, an AV perspective, the focus might be on signal encryption because that's something oh. that you think about more naturally than some of the other security aspects that IT focuses on. Yeah, and, and, and not that I have ever been accused of being empathetic, but if you, if you think about somebody coming up within your area of expertise and wanting to talk about HDMI and they use the wrong words, mm -hmm. you're going to kind of dismiss their level of, of knowledge within it. And it's going to be the same thing there. It's very difficult to maintain credibility if you're not on on the word set that they say. So if you can come in and have the right vocabulary, you can get enough benefit of the doubt that, that you can continue on on the project. But early on, if you're dismissed as, oh my God, this guy doesn't know anything, uh, it's gonna be very difficult and every move you make from that point on is, is questioned. Yeah, well, I'm excited to hear that you're working on a new white paper around that because you're last white paper was a tremendous success and it looked like you won an award from commercial integrator for it and it's the most downloaded white paper in amx history mm -hmm. so nicely done on that one so i wanted to ask you in thinking about that particular white paper which is the avit uh guide for deploying or admin guide for deploying mm -hmm. on enterprise networks that really seeks to help these av and it folks that have to put control or um, av distribution on the network what, what are the top like two or three you know, most common frustrations that you run into? Maybe give us a taste for what's in this paper. Well, uh, the, the genesis of that paper is, once again, with my well-known empathetic side, it, it really contains what I, as I came into AMX, um, I had a learning curve as to, I spent my first, six to eight months at AMX, essentially baselining where they were at. 
as far as all of these technologies go and, and various other things. Um, I had been in integration, but my focus had not been in, in traditional AV and, uh, you know, I wouldn't hire me as a programmer. You know, I can, I can move through and read code and, and, and modify it a little bit, but I'm not a programmer. And, um, so what I really focused on there is the, what type of questions do I as a, an integrator who suddenly has already sold the project, it's been agreed to by the customer and it's going to go on the network. What obstacles am I going to face? What type of information is going to be needed by the IT people before they let me touch their networks? Because we're, we're now not talking about regular wires. We're talking about breaking a mission critical um, piece of an organization's infrastructure. The last thing you want to do is bring down email or, or bring down the computer network or, or something else. It's, it's, a very bad thing to do. So the IT people are very protective. And there's never a consolidated document. And I would get passed to me because nobody know, would know where to send it. These survey or Q&As that would come back from these big customers where they were asking all of this information. And so I decided we needed to consolidate it kind of in one place, either to have a handy guide for the integrator to, to look it up or just to hand it to the IT guy and say, hey, read this. This kind of talks about what we're going to put on, and particularly these couple of topics, because these are the technologies we're putting on your network, and, and, and go through. And all of this information in, in the first version, which is um, out, uh, existed someplace. And I started by making a bibliography with it, you know, because, because I was trained right and I had footnotes and bibliography. And when I hit about 200 source documents, I quit. Um, and some of those source docket documents were sticky notes and tech support <laughs> and, and uh, emails in engineers' files. I mean, it was a huge research project, but, um, but really I was just meeting the needs of the marketplace to be able to go and put all this in one place. And this is really the type of practice that any company that makes something that's going to go on a corporate or government network should be doing. Um, unfortunately, the AV industry has, has a long time of just trying to match the specs of the next guy, maybe moving the bar up a little bit at a time. And in my view of, of at least my practice within AMX and Harman is I'm not concerned with the AV industry bars. My, my, um, my mantra to my engineers as we were putting this together um, was not be better than Crestron or be better than Extron. It's, hey, let's be the first AV company to not suck at IT. You know, we're not going to be excellent. We're not going to be Cisco, but let's just not suck. You know, everybody sucks. Us, everybody else. I would say that we were probably, even prior to me, the best story within AVIT, but it was still not acceptable. And so, so my view of the world is that if we're going to be in this business and continue on, we use the same measures as the IT industry and not the same measures as the, as the AV industry. So wait a minute, whoever sucks less wins. First one, not to suck wins. <laughs> and, and, not to suck. And, That's and, a tall order. And this is, this is a, uh, you know, it's, 
it, the AV industry um, survives on entropy. You know, uh, there are people, you know, you get these religious wars between AMX and Crestron. I mean, I think most of you people are Crestron people since there are a lot more of them in, in the world. No, but we don't vote on this show. Okay. Uh, so, all right. People use what they use. Yeah, people use what they use. But, but there's a lot of entropy where people just buy AMX or people just buy Crestron, or people just buy buyout. Um, because they're used to it, they know how to do it. They, you know, people are fairly lazy. Um, the IT world is not necessarily gonna go to those biases. Do I really want to, as the owner of the project, is no longer, you know, we're just gonna go out to an AV integrator, but we're going to be specifying as a corporation. Do I really want to go and justify to the, um, head of IT at Chevron, why our HD-based T extender is at three times the price is better than Kramer's HD-based T extender. I don't wanna have that discussion. But if I can look at their pain points, which is, which is security compliance, because if it's not compliant with their security policy, there's paperwork to fill out and there's network configurations to make, I can have a differentiator that is gonna move the needle for that person. And, and right now in this market, as far as security goes, money is not the primary consideration. It's yeah. the fact that it's secure. And, and I don't have to have that price discretion versus Kramer and Geffen and everything else within large portions of the industry which are commoditizing. Yeah, well good. Um, we're gonna shift gears a little bit. Okay. Yeah. You have such deep knowledge. We could talk about some of these topics for a, a really long time, and, and I yeah, wish yeah, I could. never shut up. Now we're gonna <laughs> now we're gonna move into kind of a a different segment, a little bit fun. We're gonna take about maybe four minutes and just ask quick questions for your short answer yeah. take. Couple. Paul, minutes. Paul, we'll give you five. Okay. Okay. Five minutes. Yeah. Here, I'll, I'll I'll give you the answers. AMX 1080p. Oh, okay. here we go. <laughs> Say 4K. The question. No, no 1080. <laughs> <laughs> all right and all right. and you know certainly okay. um cory johnny krista if you guys have some questions to throw in here we we might yeah. just inundate him so um best and bernie over hillary <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't okay. go there your best single piece of advice for av integrators go never stop learning ah good all right that was quick um internet of things Buzzword for now or a true disruptor for AV? Both. Um, and, and Internet of Things is a buzzword that I hate on the order that I hate of cloud um, or disruption or, or any of those other buzzwords that tend to, to attract people. Wait, does the Internet of Everything appeal to you? You know, network connected devices. So, oh. so absolutely, the future of the world is that everything is going to be connected to the network. And um, the, the issues of how to control and secure those devices um, is what keeps me up at night. Um, and when you're up at night, what are your favorite online tech sites to frequent? Well, I like Reddit. Um, I, I, 
Unfortunately, I tend to um, I tend to read a Google patent. Um, Interesting. I I read a lot of PhD theses. Um, wow, this could be very inspiring for people in the industry who this, are. Uh, this week, I have <laughs> been I have been um, I've been reading uh, some papers on. Written, written in the late 80s on um, the psychometrics of vision um, concerning specifically contrast and, and uh, continuity. Um, also, I've been looking very deeply into uh, some, some Huffman encoding and some linear encoding techniques for light compression. Paul, who's, uh, your, favorite, uh, who's your favorite fiction writer? There you go. <laughs> uh, it would probably be of all time, uh, probably Kurt Vonnegut. Ooh. What's I your like favorite Kurt. movie? Hmm. I would say historically it would have been Harold and Maude, although <laughs> that is fantastic. Al 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 although uh, Airheads is with oh my god another Lemmy, one with Lemmy is God maybe the best single moment in movie history <laughs> i may concur with that what's the best advice you give to a, a new and upcoming technology integrated that's just getting into the field i i i would say to um at least initially to try to concentrate on a specialty and then broaden so uh whether it is programming, command and control, security, networks, to, to pick something that is palatable and interesting and, and build yourself a good solid niche either within a company or within the industry and then, and then expand from there. So, so to build a level of expertise and don't try to build that broad base all at once because you'll be a journeyman for a long time if you try to start broad it's better to start specialized and broaden through your career than to try to start broad and stay low for a long time. Hey, Paul, great blog you wrote, uh, uh, why the AVIT convergence, we're calling that something else okay. right now, right, Johnny? It's not AVIT anymore. Technology um, integration. Thank you. There you go. Techn why the technology integration convergence has people talking and sharing ideas. Paul, a statement in here. Everyone wonders if this convergence thing that's in quotes or, you know, we yeah. do that is the end of the AV industry, which is really code for quotes. Will I still have a job? So uh, why don't you either allay their fears or uh, scare them even more? Um, I think I do allay their fears. It's, it's the IT world does not want the AV jobs. Um, They've got their own jobs and um, they don't want to go through. I think uh, I, have a, I have a joke in one of my presentations where I go over the, um, the definitions of, of convergence. And so it, in my world in telecommunications, convergence really just means um, putting the uh, multiple services onto the same networks. And, and that's the way IT people look at convergence. And it's just a matter of AV is still a service. It's just going to ride on the same wires. But the, but the definition I really liked that I thought applied is, is the original definition that goes back to the time of Darwin, which is the bio, biology definition, which is, is two separate species that, that 
because of their environment have similar traits. So on, on an island, if they've got a very hard nut, all the bird species will develop these, these big heavy beaks. And, and I think that's really more like it, that the, the, the avian IT practitioners are still gonna be two separate species. They're just gonna have more similar characteristics because they're, they're going to be in that shared environment of the network. But they're different applications oh. and, and different aims as organizations. I like it. Well, and that's the perfect place to leave it since we're at the end of our hour. So thank you so much to our special guest, Paul Zeely, and to my co-hosts, Corey Monks, Johnny Moda, and Krista Bender. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, that, that's great. So yeah, Paul, thank, thank you. you very, very much for thank being on. This me. was fantastic. Thanks, and um, yeah, thank you all out there for joining us on this second episode of Tech Exchange. And uh, yep, yeah, we'll join you next time. <laughs>